0: Violence per se has never been my bag, except personally. But in pictures it has, and I would like to uh,
1: try to at least portray it on the screen as it is. Uh, I've failed,
0: and I've succeeded. And, um, but all those pictures you talk about basically are morality plays.
1: I've broken a lot of fences and noses. I just do the best kind of a job I
0: know how. uh, But there are certain people who are
1: filmmakers, and there are certain people who are not, that's all.
2: welcome to a very 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 special episode of your favorite show it's uh the podcast it's it's your favorite podcast I, it's the good the pod and the ugly
1: i'm i'm <laughs> from philadelphia and we do not use very 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 very, very to describe anything we're very yeah. exact jack and this is a normal episode and this is thomas
3: <laughs> i am ken and we are joined this season Doing Streeps of Fire by Andy.
0: Token Lady.
3: Our token token lady. <laughs> and um we've been doing a lot of lot of streep, and this episode, I don't know if you consider it special, but we paired these two movies under the title Canceled Co-Stars. Um 1979's Manhattan with Woody Allen and 1990 Eighty nine. 1989's... seventy nine and eighty
1: nine. 10 years apart. Uh,
3: She devil with Roseanne Barr.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would
2: just like to clarify my earlier comment by saying, I think every episode with you guys is very special.
3: That's sweet. Yeah. I don't know in what way you mean special, but I (laughs) take it as an insult.
1: Like you're just humoring us. Well, isn't that special? Okay. Uh, Yeah. We got two films that have a few things in common. I mean, they're both comedies. Uh, both Shadowpool eh. and Manhattan are comedies. Eh. Uh, both are set in New York City. You can't get, con- well, both have New York City at some point, so you can't deny that. Mm-hmm. Sports are played in both. A character mm-hmm. loses or leaves a job in both. There's some age inappropriate pairings in both. <laughs> uh, a character moves out of a residence there's a TV segment in both and there's like some behind the scenes of a television segment in both. Um, and then surprisingly Streep is not only an author in both, but Meryl Streep writes a, what she calls docu fiction, I think in She-Devil. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, writes non uh, nonfiction in both. Yeah. About relationships, I believe. Mm-hmm. Oh, even more precise. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Very good. All right. Well, that's it for this episode. <laughs> Uh, Are we starting off with Manhattan?
1: Yeah, let's start off with 1979's Manhattan. And that makes it a little easier because uh, that's the same year as Kramer vs. Kramer. So you guys have already covered uh, what other films came out this year. Though you did forget, I think, The Prophecy or Prophecy by Frankenheimer.
3: Which I actually watched last month for the first time. And last? It earns its title as the worst Frankenheimer. Is that oh my goodness? Bear, that's the giant skinless bear because of mercury. Right, ready. Uh, But it is famous for being the first Hollywood film set in the United States to film in Vancouver, BC, which uh, started a trend that still goes on today. That Hollywood productions get huge discounts for shooting in Vancouver, BC,
2: and UA Bull films.
3: No Uh, prophecy. Oh talk about Manhattan. Oh, we got off on a tangent there. Oh,
0: my God. Okay.
3: Let's get back to Manhattan. Oh, 1979's Manhattan. Shall I read the letterbox Mm -hmm. description? 1979, Manhattan, directed by Woodrow Allen. Manhattan explores how the life of a middle-aged television writer dating a teenage girl is further complicated when he falls in love with his best friend's mistress. Actually, that's pretty good. That's fairly accurate. Uh, Let's go around the table and see who has seen this movie before. Andy? No. Jack? Uh, I've seen it now. Had (laughs) you seen it before? Thomas? I
1: mean, that that counts for Jack. Sometimes he falls asleep during films. Um, Actually,
2: I did fall asleep during the middle 10 minutes briefly at some point.
1: uh, I feel like... I probably saw this on my buddy's couch uh, crashing late at night and maybe fell asleep during it um, before, either in college or high school, around Jack's age, uh, but hadn't seen it again since.
3: Okay. Um, I have not seen it this century, so it's been since the 90s since I saw it. Um, So... um... In the early 90s, before the, the whole Soon-Yi thing happened, I, I did a super deep dive into Woody Allen because of crimes and misdemeanors. So I read uh, the available biographies of him, and I watched uh, almost all of his movies. Um, and uh, Manhattan, uh, we'll talk about it a little bit. <laughs> uh, but this was the movie that followed... Uh, Annie Hall, and then he did his, his somber uh, drama uh, images, September, whatever the hell it was called. Um, and he thought of Manhattan as kind of being a hybrid between the, the light romantic comedy of Annie Hall and then the uh, somber dourness of the other one that nobody watched. Interiors? Interiors, thank you.
1: Yeah.
3: It was interiors, exteriors, you know, something. Hit a theme there. He did. And this film, upon its release, uh, which was a surprise that Woody Allen hated it when he saw a rough cut of it, Um, and it's one of his least favorite films, it went on to be financially his most successful.
1: Oh, really? Um, Manhattan was?
3: Yeah. Even more than Annie Hall. Um, United Artists was like black and white. Uh, It's not going to work. Surprisingly, it did. And uh, People... At the time, seemed to really enjoy this movie. Um, It still has a lot of defenders online, despite one of its its core conceits that has not aged well.
1: (laughs) Uh, So, uh, before we get all weird and political, I'm completely fine with the lesbian. (laughs) (laughs) So this is so. Streep actually shot this movie. Uh, at the
3: same time as Kramer versus Kramer. So she was going back and forth playing a divorced woman of a freakishly short man and he had she had a little s a son with each of them.
0: And then but she was also uh making the seduction of Joe Tynan, where she was the mistress of an extremely tall man. Yes. So there's
3: Ooh. that. Anyway, she she just she she got married. Still getting, but she was still getting over Kazale. And,
0: yes, she so Kazale died. I believe in like March of 78, I think. And within six months, she was married to her still husband, Don
3: Gummer. Yeah. Um, And
1: actually with the seduction of uh, Joe Tynan, um, that Alda movie, Alan Alda, um, there's a sex scene in it, which was supposed to be really hard for her having, Mm -hmm. because I guess I haven't seen it, but it's supposed to be fairly involved.
0: Yeah. Um, Well, I think it was also like the first time she had to do something like that. Um, for Post. A
3: movie. Yeah.
0: Um and yeah, it was it was really hard.
3: Uh, before we talk about the actual movie, I would like to start with Meryl Streep's performance. Uh she's only in three scenes. She plays the ex-wife of Woody Allen's Isaac, who was a famous comedy TV writer, um, who she left became a, or dis- found out she was a lesbian, however you want to say that. She left him for a And she was she was writing a book. Uh, which at the end of the movie has the very funny title uh, marriage, divorce and selfhood. Um, And to compare this to Kramer versus Kramer, because it's, it's similar in a a lot of ways on the surface, but um, I I feel she's quite good in her three scenes.
0: Yeah. And she's beautiful.
3: She is impossibly beautiful. She's
0: like way out of his league. I'm like, there's no way
3: that zero chance. Uh, She did not know what the movie was about. Uh, Alan then, as he, he continued to do, would only show the pages to his actors of the scenes that they were in. So, all she knew about the movie is that she was um, Alan's ex-wife who was living with a woman and was writing a book.
1: Well, that makes a lot of sense because in uh, Queen Merrill, the book from the Multnomah County Library – shout out uh, – she says that when people asked me what it was like to work with Muriel um, Hemingway on Manhattan, I said, I never met the child. Um, that is a great quote.
3: It is such a subtle dig. After she turned 18, um, Alan visited her and her with her parents in Idaho and wanted Hemingway to go with him to France. Uh, still fucking creepy, um, which we'll talk about a little more in depth. And her parents. At the time, we're like, that sounds so bad going oh to France. God. And she was like, well, what? what's the sleeping situation? That's a terrible Hemingway impersonation. But she says, what's sleeping situation? And Alan could not guarantee that they would be in separate rooms and separate beds. So she was like, no. Ew. So to her credit, uh, she did. she did not go to France with Woody Allen shortly after the filming of Manhattan, where she plays a 17-year-old dating a 42-year-old man.
2: Is Woody Allen the titular canceled co-star in this situation? Yes. Okay. Yes. Gotcha.
3: Yeah. No, it's Diane Keaton. (laughs) No.
0: Diane Keaton was very annoying in this movie. Uh, I love her and I loved her in Annie Hall, but in this movie, I was like, oh my God. I don't, all the scenes with her. I was just like, oh, here we go.
3: Yeah, so let let me go over the plot really quickly because there's not much to it. Um, Alan plays a divorced father who's dating who's 42, dating a 17 year old, which was the age of consent in New York at the time. But you know, we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, his best friend Yale, probably the worst name for a best friend in a romantic comedy ever, um, or best. I don't know. Bob's pretty good. He's he's he ha- is having an, He's married and having an affair with Diane Keaton um alan no
0: i no. we'll
2: have to
0: edit that out yeah edit edit
3: out the dog will you
2: oh
3: is that is that a dog
0: yeah <laughs> it was my stomach <laughs> all
3: right so edit that part out jack and then we'll just go oh i'm, I'm keeping um, it in those okay the
2: episode so
3: far. actually put that at the beginning of the episode
2: <laughs>
3: yeah it says waffles the dog
0: oh yeah. it's wonderful.
3: speaking of canceled co-stars nancy right yeah Aww. so alan breaks up with hemingway a lot of hemming and hemming and hawing over that relationship uh, and then yale and diane keaton break up and he's like hey man it's 1979 you should go shack up with diane keaton so he does uh all right we're gonna put I'm her in her cage up. andy nope.
2: Yes. no oh yes i'm looking forward to watching the dogs this weekend
3: <laughs> i have a question for you guys uh, be, uh you can keep this in uh, there is a section where diane keaton says she has tickets to go see somebody and i could swear she says rand paul yeah yes. am i mishearing that no she did no okay. i had
0: i wrote that down
3: okay it
0: was like rand paul was he alive he was alive yeah was he a thing back then
3: yeah, he was around like that. He a, was he
0: like a figure? Well, that
3: was the, the nascent libertarian uh, revolution that was about to happen Maybe in the 1980s. Was.
0: Maybe that is what she said then.
3: Despite the fact that we just gave more money to welfare to corporations. Diane Keaton has a dachshund named Waffles. The best part of the movie. Who is the best part of the movie by far. Besides Meryl Streep. And uh, they have a um, a brief relationship. Uh, she decides she still likes Yale. Uh, Hemingway turns eighteen, and uh, Manhattan has the first instance of somebody running to somebody before they leave in this case, uh Hemingway's leaving for Europe to study acting because she just graduated from high school. <laughs> what do
0: you do? I go to high school
3: <laughs> you right yeah, what do you do? <laughs> I go to high school um, and uh he he it ends with him finally accepting that the purity he wants in New York city is what he sees in this 18 year old girl. And it's supposed to be a romantic moment. A 42 year old man finally deciding to be with an 18 year old girl. And that's the plot of the movie.
2: Rand Paul would have been 16 in 1979. So six, zero,
1: 16.
3: One six. Oh, Ron, Ron Paul.
0: Ron Paul. Ron Paul. yes. That's what it was. His
3: dad, who ran for president, I believe in 84, or 88, because my That's dad had I a bumper was sticker. Yeah, I yeah. thought they were
0: talking about Ron Paul. Okay. okay. Well, yeah, I don't know what they were saying. Never
3: mind. I mean, maybe she had tickets. If he was 16, maybe she was like hanging out with Woody Allen. <laughs> she was like, hey, there's this young libertarian. <laughs> it's pretty sexy. <laughs> I'm gonna go for it.
0: Can I so my la- can I read my last note of course from the movie since you just mentioned how it ends. Yeah. In all caps. Girl, go to London, ditch his nerd ass.
3: Whoa. It was
0: London, not Paris.
3: Okay. No, uh Paris was where Alan in real life wanted to ditch. I know, away. but
0: I think you said Paris a minute ago.
3: I said I said Europe.
0: Oh uh, well whatever. London.
3: London. Is London which is in is Europe. Nerd oh, okay. Is ass. it in Europe? It's not on the continent. It is it's
1: an Wait, I wait. Uh, do we have an expert, maybe in the studio, who could answer this? Somebody <laughs> who, who resided in London for a little while.
2: You no, know, Watson.
1: Annabelle went there. I went there. Do we I have the there. Ouija board?
3: <laughs> oh, oh. Oh. Yeah. Did I hear my name? Did I hear my name? Is it time for my quip? No, Uh, no, Margaret Thatcher. We just wanted to ask you if London is in Europe.
0: It's in the UK. Toodaloo. That's (laughs) so helpful. God, God, man, she is not helpful. Jesus Christ. (laughs) That
3: was terrible. All right, edit, edit that out, man. <laughs> that was, that was, know, that was on the spot man all right so i want to i want to fo- focus on on positives for this movie before we get into the negatives uh aesthetically the the look and the music of this movie what are our general thoughts
0: i love gershwin I, I, my my early note it because like the beginning of it is showing all of new york woody allen makes me hate new york even <laughs> though i actually don't hate new york but like he just, he's he's just so annoying. It's just so pretentious. So, but when the Gershwin comes in, I'm like, oh, but I love Gershwin.
3: Which, which I Gershwin do like. Gershwin. The Gershwin. He was the character of the, the music. The music oh, okay.
0: was Gershwin.
3: In fact, the music that begins the film is conducted by Andre Previn, who is the adopted father of Sunyi Previn, <gasps> who ten years later Woody Allen would um, famously leave me a pharaoh for. Wait, well, but I thought... It, he it almost adopte- sounds like a plot of a Woody Allen. Sunni. No, he was not. He was not uh, related to her other than being with Mia Farrow.
0: So oh. where does Previn come in? Was he with Mia
3: for
0: a little while? Or- yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Okay.
1: Weird. Yeah. Well, as we established in another uh, previous podcast, I love a movie that starts off with people on the streets. Yes. I like it's one of my favorite things about a an eighties film, especially, which this is right on the cusp of, like um of the Hills Cop. I, I just love the set if you're gonna take place in a city and you can show me that city and people eating hot dogs or uh you know uh whether that's street walkers or that's uh business executives trying to hell a cap, whatever you're doing in that city, I I love a good uh thirty seconds to two mm-hmm. minutes of, of city. I
0: like it too and and I think um it's it's great in an older movie because it gives you i'm like oh look at like look at what people were wearing or look at what New York looked like in nineteen seventy nine like mm-hmm. it's so different now, and I like seeing that, so I agree
3: uh, obviously shot by Gordon willis who um this this was his favorite film that he shot um you can kinda see why it is it is um almost every frame or setup uh you could cut that out and it could be an album cover
1: yeah i think there's two uh, there's two things on the cinematography that stuck out to me one is i wonder if this film would have been not as enjoyable to watch with a study cam or just because it's if it would smooth things out too much if the study cam was available at the time because it's a lot of uh handheld jerkiness especially like in the car scenes when they're driving around in the convertible Mm -hmm. It could very easily make you motion sick if they, uh, um, if it lasts much longer. I feel
0: like a couple times. (laughs) Yeah. Uh,
1: And despite Alan um,
3: not liking this movie when he saw the first cut, he did insist that every video release would keep the aspect ratio, which was it was shot in anamorphic.
2: Yes. Um, Roger Ebert uh, mentions that in his review how watching it any other way would cut out. I think it's the uh the the really great long shot scene where they're talking in his apartment and you can see the light shining and it's like illuminating the spiral staircase in the background. Mm-hmm. There's some really gorgeous
3: frames like that.
1: It the is. planetarium and scene is amazing. Oh right? the the yeah. planets I, I actually like wrote
3: that. that. The I yeah. my note was the planetarium scene. Wow. It looked that cool. was it. I was um, like, I wanna
0: go there. I don't know if it still exists and then the, yeah, second, wanna...
1: the second thing there is uh there's I feel like, uh, throughout a lot of it, the comedy is muted, especially relative to like Annie Hall. Um, but where it exceeds in like, almost like shtick, uh, of comedy is when you go into the almost like silent film, uh, portions of the, of the movie where nobody's talking, it's all done through gesture and you have the music over it, letting you know that something, there's going to be some payoff to what you're about to watch. Or that's the kid wanting to get the bigger plane, uh bigger train. What was it a train set or a plane? Like he's trying to negotiate oh, with his then son. Oh, and what?
0: Smacks him on the head. Yeah, that was great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah,
3: Hoffman is the better of the two short dads. In yes, these definitely. These two movies. He's
0: just he's garbage. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. Go
2: and ahead. he's as a character, I feel like um, in the Roger Ebert review, he mentions how he thinks it's a little unfair that people think woody allen plays himself in every movie and that this character has a lot of depth and a lot of nuance to the way he's he's written and how um it's not you know uh woody allen trying to i don't know make an art piece that's excusing maybe some of his real life actions like wanting to take mm-hmm. an 18 year old girl to Paris and <laughs> sleep in the same bed as her or whatever but i i don't think that's necessarily true he isn't annoying in this i feel but knowing his <laughs> real life I he was, actions but. and stuff. I, I don't know. I, I didn't think this was the most annoying Woody Allen performance though.
3: Oh, I, I agree. And to your point about whether it's him or not, it's a, it's a variation of him, but the character that Hemingway plays, there is no definite model of who it is. And that's not because he, in real life, he didn't go around with teenage girls. It's because there were so many, there are at least three women that people say it could be based on young women, children, basically. Yeah. So it, it wasn't like he was like, Oh, I'm just going to write a story about a 42 year old guy dating a 17 year old. Uh, he, he was writing from a place of uh, more experience than a normal person would probably admit to. Cause you write what you know, you write what you know.
1: It was also research because for a long time, he <laughs> yeah. was attached to Lolita before Kubrick got it. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I'm going to edit the Wikipedia right now so that's true. And we are, yep, that, that's the fact. Uh, yeah. Wow. Okay. All I right. Well, let's, on Twitter. Let, let's talk
3: about the older dude and the younger lady because Lolita is something that comes up uh, because Lolita is one of the best pieces of literature of the 20th century. And at no time do you find the super compelling narrator, Humbert Humbert, anything other than a monster. He's still fascinating, but at no time do we think, oh, okay, well, it's it's perfectly normal for an older man to be lusting after a younger woman. Um, and the difference between that and Manhattan is that Alan is writing his character from a point of being the protagonist and heroically coming to the realization that he is in love with an 18-year-old girl at the end and that she would have anything to do well, with him in can, real life.
1: Can we? Can we – I'm not subtle – or set on that that is the lesson of the movie at the very end. I think that the, I think that he is willing to let her go and develop as a, as a human being at the end of this film. He's not going to try and ruin her life or cling to her or get her mother out of a nursing home or, <laughs> I don't know, set up a staffing agency to covertly ruin uh, her life. Um, as you might see in another film, we're going to talk about, um, I mean it's a really interesting last line where she just says, uh, you gotta have a little faith in people. That and something animation. about her innocence and his reaction. You're not quite sure if he can believe it or not. At least that's the takeaway that I have as a as a viewer of the film, irrespective of uh his personal life or where things have gone in the past uh what no, he, he forty five is... plus years.
3: He is making that from and writing and directing that from a perspective of his character being the hero that needs to learn the lesson from an 18 year old. And what Alan does not understand, because he's coming from a place of power as a 42 year old man who in real life is fucking 17 year old girls and being in relationships with them, that to a 17 year old girl, all Alan is, is um, a heap of years and a lot of money. And for him to think that there is something they they are getting from him is is the toxic part of, of the relationship because she's not going to get anything from him.
0: No. And she I mean, she was she seemed more mature than him. I mean, sh, you know, she said things that were. <laughs> yeah, I was like, what are, what are you doing with him? Like, this is stupid. Well, here's what I saw at the end. I saw. Fairly desperate middle-aged man get rejected by someone who is age appropriate, and then grasping at straws goes running back to an eighteen-year, seventeen-year-old, <laughs> whatever. Like, oh no, I was wrong. He wouldn't have done that if Diane Keaton hadn't rejected him.
3: Ooh. And he was
0: just, he was just desperate. He was like, I can't be alone. I don't know how to be alone. I mean, honestly, that's
3: so, so narratively that's one thing, but if you look at conceptually of what that story is inside of the stuff, the black and white photography and the music, New York city, being a character. And it's almost like, I don't know about you guys, but I wanted to like go there and hang out with intellectuals who have a Larry David universe where they just keep bumping into each other. They're going to restaurants it seems so attractive uh, to put the story of a 42 year old and a 17 year old within that is almost using the welcomeness of the world he's creating as you overlooking what what's really at stake. And I think that that's the that's the noxious part of of the movie to me that I just couldn't get over when I first saw it, and now 40 years later I still can't. I'm probably 42 years since I first saw it.
0: So you were you were you were going to Kramer versus Kramer in Manhattan when you were like nine.
3: I think Manhattan was uh, rated R at the time. They 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 complained about it and wanted it um, changed. But the MPAA didn't because of their uncomfortableness with the core relationship of a 17 year old girl and a 42 year old man, even though it was legal.
2: Interesting.
3: That, that would that be rated R for thematic can, elements. Little,
0: little nine or ten-year-old can was one of the movies. That's right. I it was in my tweed, tweed one, jacket one with my, my little Manhattan, notebook. Please.
1: <laughs> it is interesting that for- <laughs> she does not start off at 18 because she could be 18 and in high school. It's almost as if yeah. uh, that is the point of the movie is that she is uh, by I guess the MPAA um, underaged
3: well because the age of consent is different everywhere you go um and new york at the time was 17 which is why she's 17 when the movie starts so it's not like they could they could go on a road trip like humbert humbert and lolita um because some states they would be illegal
2: um i i don't know thematically what it's what it is trying to do because it doesn't make him out to be uh a horrible monster or i don't also think that woody allen is trying to make himself look like the hero here either especially with that ending i just think the the uncomfortable part of it is that uh, like normalizes what's going on there and i think just with all his friends uh thinking it's normal too it's just it's definitely a little
3: strange agreed
0: yeah not one of his friends is like dude yeah. What is wrong with
3: you? Yeah, it's like what? What are you getting They're out all of it?
0: Jealous of him.
3: What? What kind They're of conversations jealous. are you having with this seventeen-year-old? Because the only reason for a forty-year-old man or woman to be dating a seventeen-year-old is because of sex
0: mm-hmm.
3: or money. And if it's a financial transaction, you know, I'm I'm all in favor of positive <laughs> sex work.
0: Oh well, I mean, but, but that if, this if, is if not he, that. But I mean, if he was paying her, like you know, that's like the power dynamic of and
3: that there are scenes where they're in bed, and she's like, You could do something to me that you've never done, or, or yeah. whatever the, the, and it's just like there's no way that this this was okay in nineteen seventy nine and people were okay with it
1: yeah, I think there's also a danger there, uh maybe a false equivalency by also having his wife leave him for a woman and uh having the affair uh, uh his friend having the affair with Keaton. Mm-hmm. and she knowing and being okay as the other woman um not uh because of the disruption of a marriage but uh that wasn't her big issue her big issue is that it's not there's no accomplishment at the end of the day like she's not going to be able to i don't know bear children or whatever she would want out of out of that relationship um so there's uh the other two parts of it um are part of a more uh of a melu that that he's also trying to introduce um, a however mature 17-year-old into as uh, an uh, appropriate partner. And I think that's that's the hang-up of the, of the movie, like you were saying, Ken, is that there's all these other things, this intellectual Larry David world, which is enjoyable, and just the drama of your dating. that. There's a great scene whenever they're all in the movie theater, right? Uh, and it's whenever... Uh, because Yale's wife does not know that uh, Yale had been having an affair with the Diane Keaton character. Uh, Can we, uh,
3: Let me interrupt you. Ann Byrne, who played Yale's wife, had also just divorced or was in the middle of divorce with Dustin Hoffman. So there are oh, a lot whoa. of... La- yeah it's very much a larry david world this movie weird
1: oh but yeah so you have that's a yeah it's a pop-up fact that should be there that's amazing <laughs> uh but you have this really i mean you already have a, a great uh I, a concept of a movie or the portion of that movie where you have the adult drama between a friend between two friends that friend's mistress who you're now dating and the wife who doesn't know And there's a moment later in the film where you realize that she doesn't, like I had forgotten that she didn't know, but she's confessing something to Woody Woody Allen's character. Uh, And you're like, oh my goodness, you still don't know. You never knew that uh, he was having an affair. You think this affair is happening because I, Woody Allen, introduced your husband to -hmm. the woman he was previously having an affair with Mm -hmm. and now is resuming. I can't tell you that he's resuming it. I just have to act like, uh none of the past happened. My previous lie doesn't exist, and my current lie uh is actually just a partial truth, so yeah, there's a lot of fun stuff in the movie that I think, without the counseled portion we could have had
3: yeah. uh yeah, agreed much like um if Annie Hall had been shot in black and white
2: much like yeah. if uh she Devil had never been made, we could enjoy it
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man.
2: Uh I, I wanna ask you guys about what you think of the critical response to this film because just browsing through Letterboxd and Google really quickly, a lot of people, including some of my 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 own buddies on there, love this film. It is it is a a I think it'd be safe to say this is a a beloved film in general. And I have no I have no idea how you can watch it and think that there is any self-criticism here with Woody Allen, like maybe watching all that jazz. You don't come off of all that jazz, which came out the same year and think, Oh, Bob Fosse thinks really (laughs)
3: highly of himself.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That is a very good point.
3: Um, I kind of think of it as if you think of all of Woody Allen, what people love about Woody Allen and his earlier, funnier romantic movies, uh, that Manhattan is almost like if Disneyland had a Woody Allen street. It's almost like, you know, like a Harry Potter street. It's like the fantasy world where it it seems it's so much about it with the music and the black and white and the the people seemingly not having jobs and that's okay and they're eating well and they're buying cars. There's something about it that just seems like that sounds like other than the the canceled part, it it's very inviting. It's like I I get yeah. sucked into that
1: part of it every time I watch it. I um, think that this is the movie that Heartburn wanted it to be. As I'm thinking on it, right? Ooh. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Cause you don't get much of the woman's perspective and that's what heartburn was about.
1: That's a good
3: point. There is zero woman perspective in this. In fact, that's probably the fault of the movie. Um, I do have to quote one article I read about um, a young woman decades later who saw, who was a big Woody Allen fan and saw Manhattan when it came out and her uh, uncomfortableness with it. And her experiences also with older men. Uh, playing the same shtick. Um, a friend of hers referred to Manhattan as Woody Allen being the Lenny Riefenstahl of pedophilia. Uh, and so if you look at Manhattan as a, a almost a propaganda piece just on that particular storyline, it, it's not too far. I don't know who that is. She directed Triumph of the Will, one of the greatest pieces of Nazi propaganda ever made.
1: Oh, gotcha. And yeah. you've seen a lot of Nazi prop- propaganda, so you can really yeah. rank it there, Ken, I guess. <laughs>
3: Yeah, give us a top um, 10. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Uh, Birth of a Nation. Okay. Uh, American Sniper. <laughs> I think we just lost all our listeners.
2: <laughs> yeah. D- uh, disconnected from the rest of the film and its own little bubble. I do think you've just got to have a little faith in people is one of the best ending lines ever. Unfortunately, it's in a not very good
1: film. Like all that jazz. It does have Wallace Stevens.
2: Yes,
1: Sean. I'm sorry, Wallace, Wallace Stevens. Yes, yes, yes. One of his
2: first, one of his very early movie roles. Yeah. Uh,
3: so at least we know Diane Keaton's character has a type. Yes. and that Yale, is, <laughs> Yale, that Yale, the, hand, the handsome guy is kind of outside of her normal type, and Woody Allen is within is that. Like her type. I I thought yeah, it was uh,
0: funny that, of course, it was ahead of its time, but he said. Wallace Shawn said he was in town for a semantics
1: symposium,
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I wrote inconceivable.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That she has a type is really amazing, especially after she's been talking him up for so long. Mm-hmm. And you're like, who's this going? Who's this Adonis <laughs> going to be? It's <laughs> such, and nice. and it's all done. There's no like spit take. There's no music cue. <laughs> like the humor in this is, um quite good and not drawing attention to itself yeah yes
2: it is a very funny
1: movie i laughed out loud uh quite a few times i finally had an orgasm and my doctor said it wasn't the right kind (laughs) oh you know
3: um diane keaton's uh wallace sean playing her ex-husband reminds me of the Bring back Larry David again. The Curb Your Enthusiasm, where Ted Danson and Mary Steenburgen break up, and Larry David's like moving in on Mary Steenburgen, and she says, "I'm sorry, Larry, you're just not my type." And then later, it being Larry David, Los Angeles, he's at a stoplight, and Mary Steenburgen is romantically crossing the street with a guy who looks almost exactly like (laughs) Larry David.
1: Yeah, I mean that's that goes back to that adaptation thing where if you're twin brothers and one of your twins is doing well in the romantic life and you're not, it's like, well, she, it can't really be my physicality. Right? <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: I don't know. I felt like uh Streep's performance despite looking glamorous um what I it seemed like she was still trying to figure out the camera, but I think that uh that was my first Im- impression. Like a lot of, she has a lot of the same expressions that we'll see later, like um, like a kind of a, the, her eye cutting or the way that she tilts her head at times. Um, but I think that the other part of that might be that what she said was um, regarding this. Um, it's sad because Woody Allen has a potential to be America's Chekhov. And this she said in 1980, but instead he's caught up in the jet set crowd lifestyle and trivializing his talent. I don't think Woody Allen even remembers me is what she said a year after the film. Uh, And it seems like she didn't, uh, whenever she wanted to do any type of improvisation, which Diane Keaton was allowed, she was not. And so at the time her star power wasn't such that she could, that the director of the film, Woody Allen would give her the time that he, like other directors would later, like Mike Nichols would later. Mm-hmm. um to be able to really make the performance uh to have to have the performance that we would expect from from uh streep though it's good it's not bad by any means it's just it it feels a little bit robotic or and i think a lot of that's just uh especially in the first scene walking down the street uh doing it all in one take the way the camera really he probably took the take i would imagine that Alan took the take that he was best at and not the one that was the best for the movie
3: shocking whoa uh her particular her scene where um her her wife or partner is also in the scene there's there's a uh, a sense of domesticity in it and i'm just comparing it to kramer versus kramer where that is not present and that's one of the things that sets the movie off um but there there's that even their interaction just seems like they they seem like partners and well, it's it's a quick scene I have but a common- Oh, go From for the it. book
0: that I read. Um, so because, you know, as we mentioned, Meryl didn't know a whole lot about this movie. And, you know, one of the few things she knew was like, you're in a relationship with this woman. And she'd never met the actress before, um, but apparently she was really great. Um, and so she told her, I think that first scene where you see the girlfriend mm-hmm. and Woody's coming over to pick up his son. She told the actress right before that, she was like, let's, act as if we just finished like getting it on in the kitchen or whatever. Uh, So that they're a little disheveled and picking up, cleaning up, you know, when he comes over. uh, So it kind of helped them get in that mindset of like,
3: wow. Okay. So it worked. It worked. It worked. Mm -hmm. Wow. Good job, Meryl and uh, actress whose name we don't know. Sorry. I don't know. Sorry. (laughs) <laughs> uh, and that t-shirt he is wearing when he picks up his son I mean Woody Allen's not a big guy but that looked like a, a child small I was i was wondering
2: about that as well was he trying to make himself look like Marlon Brando like <laughs> look oh, by a
1: small yeah, he wasn't wearing underwear in that scene and he cut the pockets out of his jeans so he could play with himself <laughs> <laughs> oh god yikes <laughs> he was because uh, he, he was attached to a streetcar named Desire right um, but then yeah <laughs> anyway is, that, uh, is it, that the one that Brando did that on I can't remember if it was that or on the waterfront uh, it was streetcar it was streetcar was okay. it? Yeah. do we have google reviews uh, oh wait Andy Oh, what are you, in are you going to be yeah I am
0: Meryl Streep's book about how terrible Woody Allen was as a... Husband. Oh!
1: <laughs> oh
3: well, that's good. Um, Mar- Marriage, divorce, selfhood. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Self-absorbed.
3: Yeah. Those baby boomers. Fuck.
2: <laughs> Go ahead, Jack. From
1: Letterboxd, Jack. Wait, I thought that guy was banned. <laughs>
2: oh, yeah.
1: Shadow banned. He's back.
2: Elon Musk bought Letterboxd. instead of me. <laughs> <laughs> oh at least it's aged well <laughs> very good um, Michael Decker on Google gives it one star out of five and says just plain creepy dot 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 then in parentheses reviews have to be 30 characters done <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tyler Bliss gives it one star and says it's a movie about a pedophile all you need to know fair Yep. And finally, from Google, Charlie Bonk says, I like it because it makes me feel great. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah.
3: You may refill. All right, quick break.
2: Magic word. D A D.
3: Yeah, that's a magic Why word.
2: Two. <laughs> Why, too? Don't you remember?
3: Well, uh, I, I, the. My letterbox review, can I read the end of my letterbox review? You don't have to put this on the episode. Yeah. Because brought, you brought up All That Jazz, and I brought it up too. Yes. Um, I wrote that All That Jazz, the best movie of 1979 and one of the best all time, rakes its thinly veiled protagonist over the coals for his destructive be- predilections, illustrated by pure, beautiful cinema. Alan makes his equally destructive predilections heroic using the same tools. That was pretty good. That is pretty good. Thank you. She devil. Do we have to? Fifteen rampaging he devils, oh. pell mell. Um, yeah, let's she, let's do she devil. Yes. Can I say something before we start? Wait, the, yeah. before we start. Yes, okay. about she devil. Um, this is as close as I've gotten to getting up and walking away and quitting the podcast of any movie we have watched <laughs> since we began, really? two and a half years ago. What about yeah. Crow Four? Crow 4, 4 has a, was... a kind of hilarious momentum in its badness that, yeah, it was that is so watchable. It was entertaining.
2: I, I I would like to add to that. I, I was going to say this is, without a doubt in my mind, the worst movie we have ever watched for this podcast.
3: <laughs> hundred. I, I, wow. I agree.
1: It is I the worst. I disagree. Whoa. Oh, shit. Yeah, no. I
0: don't think it's the worst that I've seen. All it's right. Really well, Andy
1: and I are yet to do some... Uh, evangelic uh, evangelizing? What's the word I want to say? We're going to have to try and convert the heathens here. So
3: <laughs> yeah, you're going to have to try and remove that. the <laughs> metaphorical mole
1: uh-huh.
3: <laughs> from our hatred of okay. this movie.
1: <laughs> okay, so we're back. Yeah.
3: We're and yes.
1: the second film in our pairing is not 1953's Tarzan and the She-Devil directed by Kurt Newman, More <laughs> 1957, also directed by Kurt Newman's just She-Devil. Uh, Kurt Newman, of course, being the guy who later, uh, I think we gave him a shout out during the um, Last of the Mohicans um, episode because that, he was the director of the Dalton Trumbo uncredited uh, Deerslayer movie. And then he did The uh-huh. Fly as well. Oh, okay. The the original, of course. But no, we're talking about She-Devil in 1989. And the first rule of Vesta Rose is you do not talk about Vesta Rose. (laughs) The second rule of Vesta Rose, you do not talk about Vesta Rose. The third rule of Vesta Rose, you must talk about QAnon. Because we're going to talk about Roseanne Barr, right? Yes. 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 Uh, She is the second...
3: Cancelled co-star of this this pairing, yeah, she was uh, cancelled for her from her own TV show a few years ago. That um, actually has her name is in the title,
0: yeah, <laughs> Roseanne, which
3: was uh she devil, I believe, was filmed in the off season after her first season. Mm-hmm. That's when she really hit it big. Um,
0: yeah, it was it was a vehicle for her, supposed to be, but, yeah. Uh, yeah. It
3: turned and turned out if, to be a pinto for those of you who are not around, which is all of you because you're all like. 24 years old or 19 um roseanne was an enormous cultural uh landmark hit when it came out in the late 80s joss Um, whedon wrote for it no yeah Yeah. Uh, george george clooney got his big break on it
0: did
3: um and Part of what made Roseanne the TV show in its earliest iteration great was they, they looked like real people. They had money problems. It was an overstuffed house, uh, jobs and bosses kind of sucked. Uh, it was a real reflection, but kind of in a funny way, um, of what a lot of people were, were going through. And Hollywood really has continually gotten away from that kind of storytelling, um, But it was a real kitchen sink throwback to to like the the 1970s TV shows of like uh, All in the Family. Mm -hmm. Um, It was huge. Holy cow. Yeah. Yeah. It was like the number one show for a number of years. Yeah. she
0: started out as a stand-up comedian.
3: Yeah. And her comedic persona is um, very brash and abrasive Mm -hmm. and very matter-of-fact when she talks about Family stuff. Um, the more money she got, she she got further away from what was her inciting events that made her comedy so great. And, and really, you could see in her career arc that she just lost complete touch with everything that made her so special to begin with. Yeah, it's sad. And then she made uh, She Devil, and she, <laughs> she managed to survive it and be successful
1: afterwards.
0: Yeah, that's the yeah. real. Uh, How did I this mean, movie
1: get made, Thomas? Why did it get made? Yeah. Well, I can't answer why it got made exactly, but uh, it is based off of a 1983 book, uh, which is available through the Multnomah County Library. Shut, Shut up. up. The Life and Loves of a she devil and that's by Faye Weldon. A book came out in 83. Uh, I could talk a little bit about some of the large differences between the two, uh, but it was Relatively popular. Uh, in 1986, the BBC did a four-part uh, series that would win the BAFTA for the best drama series and some other uh, BAFTAs for like, like three other technical categories. Wait, of this, the book that the movie's based on?
3: So the, the book is good?
1: Well, um, the book is has a different tone slightly different tone still comedy than what you will see in the American 1989 uh movie with Roseanne Barr and Streep the 1986 mm-hmm. BBC uh version um is almost to the letter the book so i guess here's a slight difference in episode 2 of the BBC version Ruth our protagonist takes on a couple of different roles and aliases to get her revenge, including uh, she starts to study accountancy. And she uh, ends up having sex with a lot of different men to desensitize herself. In episode four, the concluding episode, uh, Mary, the author played by Streep in this film we'll talk about, realizes that Ruth is targeting her and the stress and the worry is making her sick. So she turns to a priest for help, but what she doesn't suspect is the priest is uh, in Ruth's thrall because Ruth has been having sex with him. Meanwhile, Ruth gets her husband out of jail and starts to take over of Mary's life and identity. And in the book, she has plastic surgery. And so that at the very end, she buys the mansion that uh, that the Meryl Streep character has in the movie. She attends the funeral of mary who dies looking exactly like her she hires mary's manservant and lover garcia and she throws all of her new wealth and success behind a plan to get her husband out of jail so that she can uh cause him the misery that she that he once caused her by pretending to be his uh his mistress did and it's a comedy, happen,
2: or is that a third ape movie situation? <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's all the book. Wow. Yeah, yeah that it's... sounds
0: like a thriller, horror, rather wow, so. So uh, the
1: originally... book came out,
3: and and it was it was popular enough that they made this BBC uh adaptation. You know, the BBC usually hews close to to books. That's why um it's good or bad. And then they decide to make another movie out of it
0: yeah, yeah so it's they, just like that stupid a man called otto that's based on a man called ove which they already made a swedish version of that's perfectly fine it's not ove or ove.
1: the no. singing detective is ove? i don't
3: know what that is
0: but yes you know for some because americans are stupid and we have to watch our own version of stuff Star- Oh,
3: tinker taylor soldier spy mm-hmm. how about the upcoming
2: another round starring leonardo dicaprio that's supposedly happening <laughs>
0: are you
3: serious it's not happening
0: (laughs) i will boycott that i will protest that anyway we
2: got off track (laughs) yeah uh
3: thomas (laughs) please enlighten (laughs) us we're desperate for your wisdom i'm sorry what can i help you with (laughs) so it may so that this this is from the 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 director who made Desperately Seeking Susan and yes. Smithereens, right? So not earlier, not a, uh, not a bad director. I mean, you could see she was ready to level up into a more mainstream studio role. What the fuck happened?
1: I don't know what you're talking about. She made a great movie that, uh, unfortunately for Meryl Streep, uh, didn't do very well. Um, didn't at least domestically make its uh, budget back, uh, and that was Streep also coming off of. Um, the dingo ate your baby film if i remember right so she had two bombs in a row
0: yeah why did she do this movie do we know the answer to that question
1: she wanted probably do comedy
3: i I think that this was the point where she had been kind of pigeonholed into dramas um and you know wait this is a comedy
0: she was she was very funny in this i thought um, I mean, you know, she I think she knew <laughs> I don't know if she knew. I think surely cuz she's not stupid that this was dumb and over the top and so like I enjoyed watching her performance because it was ridiculous, but she was funny to me,
3: you know. I found like the early scenes, the initial scenes was street because of the movies we've been watching. I found, well, this is refreshing. She's kind of um she's kind of being funny. Mhm. Um But then uh, her performance is so one note that after 15 or 20 minutes, I was just like, I was sick of everybody in this. I thought Roseanne Barr in the early part where she is the the kind of the the innocent um, housewife who doesn't know. um, I thought she was quite good. Um, And then when she kind of turns, her performance becomes completely flat without any nuance or likability and really for me sank the entire movie. Cause I just didn't give a shit what Roseanne Zambar was doing because she was neither devious in a way where you like a protagonist to be sneaky and clever because her schemes in the movie are so broad and there's no detail to them. They don't make any sense. Mm-hmm.
2: And we have, I think it's hampered by her performance by the worst example I've ever seen of um, the thing that Brian Cox hated in man voiceover voice. Yeah. voiceover. It is awful. It is actually like unbearable, like ears bleeding level terrible. Her voice she just is describing the things she is doing as she is doing them. It is so fucking annoying.
1: I think it's charming and oh it's appropriate for the audience for the film. So apparently, uh it, it's possible uh Seidelman wanted her as the lead of the film, as the as Ruth Uh, Patchett, who uh Roseanne Barr would play. Um, at the time, she uh grabbed uh, she said that she wanted to go for the Mary Fisher role because it was so different than other characters she had played in the past. Mm -hmm. Um, and she thought that Roseanne would be perfect for Ruth, even though Cher's name did come up, which is actually closer to the book because in the book, the person uh, of uh Ruth is a tall person who's gangly and um still has a bunch of moles on her chin. Uh but is and is supposed to be unattractive, but is freakishly taller than her husband.
3: Wow. And, and, and Ed, Ed Bigley uh, Jr. is a tall guy.
2: Yeah. Yeah, Cliff Main from Better Call Saul.
3: Uh what what was his name in um the alopecia guy from Arrested Development eyebrow was eyebrows always falling off or getting crooked. <laughs>
0: yeah, he's like 6'5",
3: I think. Yeah, he's a tall guy. Uh, and his hair and eyes, speaking of, of Nazis, not that he's a Nazi, but the Aryan ideal is Ed Begley Jr. in this movie because he's tall. He's got beautiful blue eyes. He's got this
0: he's like just super blonde.
3: huge mop of perfectly blonde hair. Um, I I love Ed Begley Jr. as a a character actor, but um, he as he a, like, completely is he is neither evil enough, dumb enough, or interesting enough to to make the character work. He's just kind of there.
2: I think this movie is just about evil enough
3: and dumb enough,
0: <laughs>
1: and it's just I, there. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. a lot to like about this
3: film. No, so uh, okay, so the font it uses for She Devil,
2: no
1: i kind of liked it it looked like a kitschy old 1950s i think that uh, the opening of, of this film tells you exactly the type of film that it's going to be it starts off Terrible. with like this for uh if, if uh it's gonna let you know the tone of the film so it starts off with uh a title screen with like kind of a like a i love lucy crumpled velvet thing in the background um which then burns and then has like this weird '80s comic sans type font that says "she devil." Love it. And and they're like, "Yeah, yeah, uh, this is going to be a cartoonish film uh, that will have, perhaps, will have voiceover saying exactly what you're seeing on screen, <laughs> and that's going to be fine."
0: It also starts out um, once you get past the title pages or whatever. Very similar to the Devil Wears Product, where you have attractive women um, putting on makeup or getting dressed or whatever, mostly makeup I think. But uh, and then you see the frumpy makeup. Oh, character. Yes.
1: Yeah, I the
3: the setup of this movie is is not that bad. You have the lifestyles of the rich and famous segment, which well, is kind of. Uh, good exposition you have roseanne in the supermarket with her kids and her son inexplicably stabbing milk cartons yeah it's like like this this movie okay this movie i I was thinking okay well this this is going to be kind of funny because it has a bit of an edge to it and then it it just all completely disappears Nothing, nothing again reaches the level of the sun stabbing milk cartons, which is probably the funniest part of the movie.
2: That was good. The only, I laughed exactly once and that was when she takes the lid off of the thing and you see the gerbil in there. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And she says, I'll get a strainer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did laugh at that as well. Also, I don't think that was a gerbil. I think it was a
0: hamster. But anyway, it looked like a rat.
2: Yes. Oh my God. I was walking down the street the other day. Sorry, this is unrelated. But I was walking down 29th, and I saw a rat just scurry across the street. I've never seen that before.
1: Oh, well, you've never been to New York City. Um, <laughs> so, uh, is there a letterbox that we can get a quick synopsis? Um,
3: Yes, just give me a second. I'll pull it up.
2: The story of the greatest evil ever known to man, dot, 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 his ex-wife. A cunning and resourceful housewife vows revenge on her husband when he begins an affair with a wealthy romance novelist. There
0: you
1: go. I wouldn't is... say
2: uh, cunning and resourceful. She was a housewife, though.
1: Yeah. So uh, I like a movie that mentions power bills, and I think that was mentioned twice during this film. <laughs> um, uh, the Ed uh, Bigley Jr. Uh, character falls in love with a writer played by Streep that and who we're introduced to through the lifestyles of the rich and famous
0: mm-hmm.
1: and a little bit of a uh, um, dramatization of one of her books. So she writes romance, Meryl Streep's character writes romance books, Mary from because of the gala that uh, Roseanne Barr is trying to get ready for. Uh, in the beginning of the film uh, that that event is where Meryl Streep and Ed uh, Buckley jr named Bob uh, meet a beautiful name yes uh, and from there uh, Roseanne Barrs character Mary I'm sorry uh, Ruth goes on a tear and destroys everything that she can about her husband's life and and uh, Mary, Mary, Streep, Meryl Streep's life as well. She takes out revenge on both. Or it,
2: isn't that kind of stupid? Her whole plan. She's like, I'm going to ruin my husband's life, and the first thing she does is blows up her own house.
3: <laughs> yeah, what a with
1: plan. All her- kids stuff in it and that was really shitty well and, uh, and how so, she does so-, so how she does so is like by putting a knife in a blender and turning on the gas and doing uh like leaving something running but my one of my favorite tropes in any in in, in films and you see this in gross point break uh, blank i'm sorry gross point blank um and to get out uh whenever the assassins are coming for them in the super uh like the I think it's uh like a 7-Eleven a, a, a corner store. You see it with Catwoman and Batman Returns. I think it's an Iron Man 3 as well. Somebody <laughs> takes aerosol cans and puts them in a microwave and sets it. And in this movie, and I think as well as the other movies, however long you decide to set that timer for on the microwave, whenever it hits zero, that's when those <laughs> things are going to explode.
0: Not any. It wouldn't any... explode within three seconds.
1: Yeah. Or one blow up and the other's not, but it's, yeah, it, it'd be like uh-huh. if you put a hot dog in the microwave and you, whatever time you put it on, it would explode. When you open it, you put it for 10 minutes, you can put it for five seconds. It doesn't matter. It's the amount of time you put on it because somehow that is what causes I mean, yeah. the explosion is the timer. Uh, fantastic. You know, one
3: thing, one thing I find that, probably led to this movie not being successful um, is, is Roseanne Barr's character. She devil uh, dumps her kids off at the the husband and, and Meryl Streep's. So she essentially just abandons them. And I think for Roseanne Barr's fan base at that point, um, that is something that they, they just cannot relate to. It's not funny having your, your kids, acting like that with your uh, philandering husband and his, his sugar mama. Um,
0: I don't think that's why this movie didn't succeed.
3: Well, it didn't succeed because it's <laughs> fucking terrible. <laughs> yeah. no, I, I, but, think that, I think yes, it was a, I mean,
0: I do think that was, crappy. but
3: Roseanne Barr had her fans and taking that fan base and asking them to accept somebody who is because of her husband uh, shacking up another woman, just gives up her kids um, is, is maybe a bridge too
1: far. Mm. Maybe.
0: I think she just knew that that would be a big punishment to Mary.
1: I think it's very similar in movie logic. I I, I would disagree with you, Ken, because I think it's very similar in the logic of this movie and in movie logic to not feeling bad about the poodle jumping over the hedges and to its death. So there's a scene later because whenever they bring the kids over uh, there's both their mutt of a dog and then this pampered dog of uh, Meryl Streep's character and yeah a ball goes or something goes over over this hedge and the mutt knows better than to jump over it, but the uh, pampered pet jumps for it and dies.
3: Uh, I am going to pull out my parent card, and as bad as my two lovely, adoring children that uh, are the best thing that ever happened to me, at their very worst, I could not imagine just shoving them off to uh, um, whomever, and then... Uh, focusing on my own life and my own revenge it's just it just does I, not track even I, in a ridiculous comedy it it does not track
1: i I did notice that in that one portion of uh Manhattan you were wearing the divorced father's and sons all stars shirt along with jack playing <laughs> playing uh football in in uh in the park so that yeah, I guess that checks out you you're a better <laughs> better parent than Roseanne Barr in this movie. Well, it's a low bar here's, but
2: here's my take that's I, after
1: I think- also but also i guess in the full logic of, of things that's after she's destroyed everything that they own so not only well, she destroyed all say, their possessions of their kids She's
2: not
0: well like i think that you know yeah like we've established like she is not a well person so it may be really for the kids benefit that she well, I- you know <laughs> took them over there because who knows she might have ended up burning them alive in their own
3: So I think this is the fault of Seidelman. Seidelman, is that the name of the director?
1: Yeah.
3: Sure. Not Um, creating a tone where that kind of thing comes off as funny. Um, Because that kind of stuff can come off as funny. I mean, we've all seen the jerk. (laughs) Um, And it it does not. It just comes off as, as arch and abrasive and doesn't make sense. It's just a really tough tone to pull
1: off. It seems like it's a little campier than a Tim Burton film. And it also seems, but it seems almost like the burbs in a way. Like it's, it's, uh, yeah. there is a certain like 80s comedy, um, aesthetic logic to what's going on where you can blow stuff up and it doesn't matter and people can be abandoned and it, it doesn't necessarily matter. Um, that I think that, well, it yeah, is, I that mean, it's like, working in.
0: Her blowing up the house, there's no way they wouldn't have, the, because that stuff gets looked into and there's no way that they wouldn't have gone in and been like, Oh, somebody put aerosol cans in the microwave. But yeah. That's what okay. caused this fire. But, like she wouldn't have been able to, she would have been put in jail from that in, in well, the real world. Two, this me, is a, a, yeah.
1: This it's a movie. Comedy. And there's two parts yeah. to that, that. Back that up. One is, uh, whenever she blows everything up, you get the weird, like dark man, uh, uh Sam Raimi blue screen that looks like almost intentionally fake and like mm-hmm. the camera zooms back down from the storm that suddenly happens after she blows things mm-hmm. up like all of a sudden lightning's coming and it's like she's manifesting her evil powers and the camera even like zooms back down on a crane into her face from the from the suburbs that she's now leaving and, and abandoning. But also this is the movie where uh a few minutes earlier her husband in the car with uh, the Meryl Streep character, Mary uh, tell drops, drops his wife off outside of this, uh, outside of the uh, housing comp, outside the suburbs and says, Oh no, she's fine to walk. And uh, Roseanne Barr's character, Ruth is so starstruck by Meryl Streep, the author that she's like oh she doesn't think anything about walking home or the imposition there like it's it's a crazy romp of a movie and i think we have to give it (laughs) if we're watching it for any type of literalness like it's gonna it's gonna fail pretty darn quickly
2: i think the dog jumping off a cliff was a metaphor for how i felt watching this
1: (laughs) yeah
3: no, nothing uh, nothing uh, about it i i even even talking about it is just keep making okay me feel here here's some things that
1: I did like okay <laughs> it's some of the things it didn't do is I think what actually works really well for it okay so at one point roseanne Barr whenever uh bigley jr is washing uh washing himself in the shower right after coming back from their Streep's, she stands on a scale and it's two hundred one pounds right mm-hmm. and she never has a montage in this movie where she goes on a diet. To get underneath 201 pounds, there's it's not it's not Bette Midler and Ruthless People. She's not trying to like win them back by doing a a crazy makeover montage.
0: But she does look better by the end of the movie. Absolutely, as far as she gets the mole removed, she starts dressing nice and doing her hair and putting on makeup. You know, she looks more uh, confident in herself. because she and because she gets out of the house and she's she begins a career and like but why does she uh,
2: deserve that because she is a Horrible! If you're looking at her as a she, I'm not, not saying she deserves picture. it. I'm just saying she did make she herself over it. a little bit. The film I clearly think, thinks she's the hero, though.
1: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think I that know. there's a wish fulfillment by the audience, by the, its intended audience, of being a working class or a less, not being a, a somebody who looks as beautiful as Meryl Streep, being able to be successful. I mean, she, so the and I think that that's why we have the Vesta Rose uh plot line of her setting up the employment agency and wh- who her targets are. This is a comeuppance movie.
0: Yeah, they try to make her out to be a hero in a way because she helps all those other women who were like rejects, you know, to find careers and make their own way, you know, and it's like that's a good thing, but she's really a trash person
1: benefit yes and no because there's a lot more people that she helps out than just the people that are part of her machinations but the other side of it is what's really interesting and i think that if this film were made now it be, would be different is even though uh she and mary Mer- meryl streep's character are eskimo sisters <laughs> they don't join up to take down the man yeah. instead the class difference remains and it's not, like, breezed over by a sense of sisterhood. Right. Like, Meryl Streep's character, Mary, comes to the same realization that this dude uh, is uh, a philanderer and uh, probably a thief. You guys, you guys, Jack, you didn't laugh whenever... Um, her butler shows up during the interview uh meryl streep's butler shows up during the interview with people and she said and he says tea time as usual ma'am and gives her yahoo and cheese whiz and some bananas he might have
0: been asleep okay (laughs) did Um, that happen
3: yeah Yeah.
0: and easy cheese so
3: um Thomas, I, I never want to hear any shit about White Hunter, Blackheart after this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, okay, see,
3: that argument is done. That
0: movie, you know, I couldn't even sit through
2: that movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, I I think like back in the day when when the book The Exorcist came out, you know the the the, the movie is based off of.
3: Wait, which uh, movie?
2: The Exorcist, William Friedkin's The Exorcist. Um, you know like like, evangelical christians and stuff thought it was like evil and that the book like the object of having the book itself was like would manifest some sort of demonic possession so they would like burn copies of it and throw copies in the ocean and stuff that's kind of how i feel about this movie like even (laughs) thinking about it is like this 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 gloom just comes over me this depression i think this movie manifests evil
1: evil. what okay so much Okay, I understand that you have a reaction to this this film. And I, and I won't say that this film is a great film, right? Um, oh, you
2: won't? You won't say that
1: Thomas, are you sure? <laughs> Let's get it on record.
3: <laughs>
1: I there I think that there are great films and this is this is not uh you know, something if we were going to try and save uh on a space arc, right? Like we're trying to send off into space and like <laughs> maybe like the challenger, we have a golden disc and we want to preserve humanity. This is not one of the things I would try and preserve. Uh, with like a finite amount of resources. Of course, this would come well above alone in the dark, right? Or afraid no. of the dark, or wherever that uh, UA bull film was. Um, but that said, like what, what's uh, causing the reaction for you? Because there's a lot of things here, right? Like the editing of it feels very, cartoonish the music cues are a little bit big like uh you said it's insulting the intelligence with the voiceover right like there's a lot of things that are uh that you could be in other films that you would you would dislike i i think that the ending is really bizarre with like the buckaroo bonsai walk where all of a sudden like she has a whole <laughs> army of people that maybe Project Mayhem is going to happen. You don't really know. (laughs) Um, But I'm curious for you, Jack, like what is it that's, is it just the aesthetics of it? Because I could see that, right? I just, I'm curious what, what's jumping out at you is, oh, this is terrible. You don't like dogs licking feet? Like what's, what's going on?
2: (laughs) It is the aesthetic. It's it's that that campy um, 90s, I guess this was 1989, but whatever, 90s uh, suburban, aesthetic it just looks like hell to me like Meryl Streep's everything like Meryl Streep's house like where she lives that that bright pink house against the bright blue sky it's like if I were to be in hell it would be the aesthetic of this movie for eternity like the endless suburbs and the green grass and everything I just hate it so much it's so (laughs) fucking ugly and um that combined with yeah the voiceover and all the terrible performances including Meryl Streep god bless her you know
3: worst worst one we've seen really just her her voice i just thought it fit the movie it does i
0: just thought yeah she was just
3: Mm. no this this Mm. is like uh if a famous artist thought it was funny to have um cat vomit on a tin plate put up in a museum (laughs) and in theory that is kind of funny uh but when you think about actually looking at it it, it's still cat vomit on on a tin plate on a wall
1: there's a moment that's what this movie is to me there's a moment that meryl streep is sitting down with her book agent and the agent's saying like i've read what is it love in the wash cycle and we can't back you on this like this is this is not very good um and meryl streep uh, she says, What's that in your hair? And like Meryl Streep pulls something out and says, Oh, a gummy bear, and then puts it in her mouth and starts chewing on it. That's brilliant, like that. <laughs> that's worth the price of a mission. Uh, because <laughs> at that very moment, you see both like her, um, her demeanor where she's pretending that she's something other than her Bronx mom and uh, her, her working collar roots at the same moment.
0: Her mom, who went, who must have been only like fifty when she put her in a nursing home,
1: <laughs> Man, what
3: a terrible character! Oh, my oh God. I thought so the terrible. mom was Everybody, funny. everybody oh, she's from so bad. yeah. No offense know. to Meryl Streep, but this movie could have been recast a completely different cast um, of every single character. A Martinez is probably the only one that I I would keep because he 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 he, he fits the bill. Maybe Hank Azaria could have done better. He did it better in uh, the Birdcage. But every single person could have been recast with somebody else, and this movie still would fail at maybe the same level. Yeah, no, (laughs)
0: I agree with
2: that. Another thing I hate is like in movies is um, like evil nurses. Is I think like one of my least favorite tropes, and this has like this whole. Long, horrible, horrible sequence where it's just so grating and slow. Where she's switching out their medications uh. and they're playing soccer, and it's like a bunch of old people playing soccer isn't funny. It
1: it's is not. when they're on when they're on amphetamines, which she it's not. Me. It's not funny. It's so
2: bad. It's
0: it, okay. This was to me. I thought I was like, this is like a kids' movie.
2: Yeah, like yeah.
0: a twelve-year-old maybe would think this was funny. a
2: 12 year year old with a lobotomy
0: maybe but (laughs) uh, but now like that's the kind of movie that would have come on if we had cable when i was that age which we didn't uh but if it was on and i caught it you know i might would have thought it was pretty funny
3: so this is like you know how they send they make all the t-shirts for the Super Bowl winner for both teams and they send the <laughs> they send the creative t-shirts for the losing team that said they won to like the darkest like most least civilized places in Africa if those people that think the Buffalo Bills are the only team to win four Super Bowls in a row if they had never seen a movie and saw this movie you're you're probably right they would love it
1: <laughs> well wow, that was a long walk um <laughs> I, I Somebody else, I guess, agrees with you, but maybe on the opposite side, Ken, uh, about this movie, <laughs> which is uh, Roger Ebert and his review of oh, She-Double. He said, um, if Barr is correctly cast, so is Streep, who has always had a rich vein from comedy bubbling through her personal life. Few people are merrier during interviews. And then of uh, Seidelman, uh, Ebert said, she sure has an off." Uh, she sure has a touch for off-center humor, the kind that works not because of its setups and punchlines, but because of the screwy logic her characters bring to their dilemmas. That's yeah, those are words
3: that Roger <laughs> Ebert typed. Uh, that was not that review was not
0: mentioned in like, his
3: Pulitzer Prize ceremony. I feel
0: like he was being pretty nice there.
3: Yeah. He was being generous for access. He mentioned Meryl Streep in interviews. Uh, You know, all those guys, they're like, they want to keep their access to the the big stars. And Meryl Streep was going to move on to things that he would want to interview her for anyway.
1: True.
3: That was Ebert the diplomat.
1: Uh, So Meryl Streep did turn 40 around this time. Uh, even though I think she's cast as a 42 year old and a 34 year old in this film, she lies about her age. That's something that the mom uncovers. Um, but, uh, yeah, she said that it wasn't a big deal for her, uh, that she's always felt that she's, you know, been youthful at heart and she has these other, uh, women around her who made no, made no quorums about turning, turning 40, like Carrie Fisher
0: it's right
3: it's yeah streep at 40 was 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 totally hot
0: well yeah i mean well and she was getting a part playing a beautiful mistress so yeah that had to make her feel pretty good she wasn't she wasn't getting the part playing her mom <laughs> right right you know. although actually if she had done that it would have been hilarious. oh they could they
3: could have um They could have Dr. Strange loved it. Peter Sellers could have played. Meryl Streep could have played almost every character. That's true. Is Dr.
2: Strange love the Marvel movie? Yes. Yes. Uh, Also, I I want to say my my biggest problem with the film is she gets on the bus after leaving the nursing home. Yeah. And then the little the little uh, her little companion runs up and is like, wait, wait. And she gets on the bus and is like, do you have a plan? And then the voiceover is like, yeah, I have I have a plan. But she didn't have a plan because her plan involves buying a fucking building, which she wouldn't have been able to do if that little nurse hadn't caught up to the bus in time. That's true, because she
0: had yeah, we money. need
3: a Donald Trump cameo there to pull that one off.
0: Linda Hunt is the, the little lady. Yeah, yeah. She's been a lot of. Staff. She won an
3: Oscar uh for playing a for male, right?
0: Mm-hmm. No, no. She yeah, no. Before this, oh, Linda Hunt was
3: there. great. Yeah,
0: she's still around. She's still around, by the way.
3: I always liked it when she showed up. Uh, wasn't she yeah. the basis for the costumer in The Incredibles? That makes yes. sense. Yeah. That's true. Yeah.
0: Oh, I think so.
3: Edna, uh, Edna uh,
0: something. Yeah. Um, I have a, a question yeah. that relates back to a previous movie. Are Meryl Streep's glasses at the end of this movie larger than Joe Beth Williams
3: in Kramer vs. Kramer?
0: They were pretty.
3: No, big. but they looked upside down because the that
0: was that style that like my grandmother wore, where so the, weird. the arms like, of the glasses are on the bottom of the.
3: Yeah, I could have swore she was wearing them backwards. Because you know, I'm I'm always big whenever there's a lady wearing glasses in a movie. I'm like, okay, let's pause hello. it. Hello. <laughs> you can go These to my my website, womenwearingglassesonfilm.com dot com, if they you're they a fellow up, like, fetishist. Four, four eyes, eyes for me.
0: A lot of her face.
3: <laughs> yes.
0: Anyway. oh i was meryl streep's hat collection in this movie She had quite oh. the collection Ooh. of <clears throat> i like, the dutch boy hats. one at the end
3: mm-hmm.
1: i like that she had a portrait of herself in her bedroom that's mm-hmm. pretty baller <laughs> along with a fireplace yeah man and yeah. i like the work that uh her butler does especially when he's working out <laughs> <and> <laughs> in the other room when she's thinking of uh maybe trying to rekindle things with them uh, yeah. I That uh Mart, a oh, Martinez uh, as Garcia, yeah. uh he was in a lot of soaps. He was. Yeah, so that's was what in Andy said Santa when he showed Barbara. up. Santa Barbara.
0: That's what I remember him from.
2: I liked how the movie ended and the credits rolled, and I never have to watch it again <laughs> until I until I die and go to hell. But Jack. So
3: can I can I tell you? I was sitting here when we I paused it at that one point. We'd all gone to the bathroom and we all said, "Don't pause Wait, you it." You guys all um, okay? That's we go to the bathroom together. <laughs> Not together. One and but we the reason I paused it is I wanted to see how much was left because for the first thirty minutes of the movie I was like I I, I can't do this I cannot finish <laughs> watching this movie something about it is just uh, tearing my soul apart so um, I I got up and decided for the podcast I would watch it and then I I got a joint and smoked it and that's the only reason oh, that's I, why
0: you did that that's the
3: only reason I, I got wondering. through this movie okay. was. Uh, <laughs> marijuana that my dad gave me Shout
2: <laughs> out, Jim.
0: Shout um, out. But thanks jack, dad okay jack which of these movies did you fall asleep in
2: oh i i it was manhattan i think i already said earlier briefly but yeah uh,
0: so isn't that something the worst movie
3: yeah
2: i awake for yeah unfortunately <laughs> kudos I've... to you I wish I had fallen asleep.
3: Sleep <laughs> sleep indicates uh, physical tiredness. It does not indicate quality or lack of quality of a movie. Yes. You, know I mean? no, you just made it? that up. Wait, I did. Totally no, that's a, that's a quote from Graham Greene. Graham Greene? Exactly? <laughs> yeah. You don't even know who that is. Yeah. <laughs> talking about his experience on um, that uh, Dances with Wolves.
0: You're just making a bunch of words up now.
1: I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> oh, I got... Uh... <laughs> What is it? Two words for you, Judge. Who? Judy? Reinhold. Uh, no. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. We all have to do with computer viruses, isn't it? Oh, brother.
0: <laughs> I think I win with Judge Reinhold. But... Very good. Anyway,
3: do we have Googles for this, Jack? Yes, there's a few. Okay. All right, so someone else watched it other than us. Yeah,
1: I want. We didn't go around the horn, but it sounds like this is your guys' first time watching this film. It is not mine. This was on what? cable. This you was on cable, and I watched it multiple times growing up. Oh my
2: god! Wow. Um, on Google, Kevin Henry gives it five stars and says, "She Devil is the greatest movie that I ever watched on TV or online." <laughs> and on Letterboxd, uh, Parker gives She Devil one half of a star out of five, the lowest Pear. available rating, and says Meryl Streep should have to give back all those Oscars.
3: Ooh, <laughs> I love it! I agree. Yes.
2: Uh, yeah, this makes me want to quit the podcast and never watch another Meryl Streep movie ever again, as long as I live. But
3: what? oh, we see we reach that point with every no every season, don't we? We forgot to mention um just like
2: tim burton steven spielberg um others quentin tarantino uh people in hollywood that i want to fight in a boxing ring um we forgot to mention howard shore oh yeah who i absolutely fucking hate i despise howard shore and i want to fight him his music sucks and he ruins every movie oh did he do the music Except for The Lord of the Rings, which is really good somehow, miraculously. I think someone else scored that and he put his name on it. Because that's well, that, some really good music.
3: This is a good time to announce our next season, which is called Shore Enough, And <laughs> oh, we're oh, only no. going
1: to watch movies that Howard Shore scored. Oh, just to, just to I thought it was Polly no. Shore. I'm not, sure. not going to do Howard Shore. Oh, yeah. no, I'll do Polly Me Shore.
0: Too.
1: Me too.
2: Yeah, he will score... Um, he will ruin another Meryl street movie which we will watch later this season. So. Oh really? For that.
3: Yes. Oh, stay tuned for that. Uh, should we see if Margaret Thatcher's willing to come back? Oh Jesus Christ. No. Well, we could ask him too.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think we'll get in less <laughs> trouble. I, we're going to get less trouble with the Iron Lady. Let's stick to to her. Okay. okay. Yeah.
3: Maggie, You're up again. On my way. Manhattan. <clears throat> An MP I once worked with had a child with Hutchinson-Gilford syndrome. They're all so small, but look so old. So I admired the protagonist. Okay, that was Manhattan. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> She-devil? More like the Countess of Monte Crisco? i have
0: a question margaret she's,
3: she's gone, gone man no, she's I it off
0: ask her if she was always prepared with a quip.
3: oh, oh well um being being dead gives you a lot of free time it's kind of like being unemployed
1: i is the microphone at, all right after she dropped that. it because that, that was a that, <laughs> yeah. that was excellent yeah, margaret right? uh best ever so, yeah, <laughs> follow us on Twitter. If it's still around when you hear this. Oh, uh, happy birthday, Mr. President. First octogenarian president happy as of today, birthday. I think.
0: Oh. oh, really?
1: Were you doing the Marilyn Monroe Mr. thing?
0: President. Yeah. Oh. Is that not
3: okay? Yeah, I don't know. I, s- I just saw a blonde a few weeks ago, and that's.
0: I am not actually Marilyn Monroe. So okay. I don't know. I
3: don't know if you knew that. And uh, next week, we will be back with a couple more mail Streeps, which we will discuss after we start recording. All our social media is in the show notes, including the letterbox for Jack and I. Um, Thomas still gets his movies through Netflix via the mail, so <laughs> he's not on it. He lives in 2005. Are we on Mastodon? Are we on Mastodon yet? I don't know. Yeah, we need is. to get on that Mastodon shit. Yeah, so find us on Mastodon as well.
2: Wasn't um, Isn't a Mastodon, isn't that a type of dinosaur?
0: It's an elephant
3: it's a, a hairy elephant it's
0: like a woolly mammoth
2: right?
3: oh yeah
0: it's also like a metal band
3: yeah Harry elephant that's a great name for a series of metal private band? detective novels oh. Harry elephant <laughs> you're always getting your trunk in other people's business harry
0: oh, i can't help it
3: <laughs> did you hear that of course you did with it's ears a that detective big
0: series for kids Oh, you there you go! That.
3: Oh, hey, all right. Don't steal that, uh, Dave Pilkey. Don't steal that. All right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Captain Underpants fans know what I'm talking about. Oh, I love Captain Underpants. Yeah. yeah. All right. <laughs> we lost Andy with <laughs> Harry Elephant. Uh, we just lost Andy. Sorry, guys. So,
2: can we end the episode here? oh dude that's a great idea let's fucking end this
3: <laughs> just like i wanted to end
1: sea devil after 30 minutes oh man you've got you to have a little faith you. in people
3: <laughs> all right goodbye Bye.